I read this past week that Dr. Horatius Bonar, as he closed the curtains at night in preparing to go to bed, would repeat to himself these words, perhaps tonight, Lord. In the morning when he woke up and he looked out on the dawn of a new day, he would say these words as he looked up into the sky, perhaps today, Lord. You see, Dr. Horatius Bonar expected the Lord Jesus to return at any moment. But here's the thing. Bonar was in the Lord's service for over 60 years. Now think about that. Night after night, day after day, week after week, year after year, perhaps tonight, Lord, perhaps today, Lord, perhaps tonight, Lord, Perhaps today, Lord, he kept looking up, but he also kept laboring and living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we make our way through 1 Thessalonians, and I want to ask you to turn there again today, it's important that we keep the same perspective. That is, to keep looking up, knowing that Jesus can come at any moment for us, but not only just keep looking up, but keep going too. Last week, as we celebrated the Lord's Supper together, we dug into the first verse of this book, 1 Thessalonians, and we discovered the first of two things that we desperately need. And the first of those two things we talked about last week was the idea of togetherness. And you'll see that in verse number one. We'll read it in just a second. Togetherness. They worked together. They met together. They were in the family together. They were brought together in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we desperately need in our world is togetherness. And that's why God has given us the church. God has given us one another because we need each other. And today I want to give you the second of those two things that we desperately need. We're going to read the first three verses again. And then we'll kind of focus this morning on verses 2 and 3. But notice what the Word says here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse number 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Now, when you're studying your Bible... I don't mean just reading through, but when, we, when you want to do a Bible study, it's good for you to slow down and to really begin to look at the verses and to look and see, are there things that are mentioned more than once or are things emphasized there? And I want you to notice, if you didn't already, all the triads or the groups of three that appear in these three verses. I don't know if you noticed or not, but notice all the threes. You have three workers that are mentioned, Paul, Savanus, you may know him as Silas, And Timothy, you have three workers. God is called God the Father three times in these three verses. We find the phrase, the title, Lord Jesus Christ, three times in these three verses. And then there's also two other sets of three that I really want to talk to you about today as we kind of look at our time together. We find that Paul and his associates they do three things, three things they're doing that are mentioned in these verses. And then as you continue to study, Paul in writing here in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he mentions three characteristics of these Thessalonians. 
So you have all these groups of three in just the three opening verses of this book. It's a very rich book. Of course, it's the Word of God, and we cannot exhaust it, and we'll never get to the very bottom as we keep digging here. But all of these serve as wonderful examples to us, these threes, and and there's some great truths here as well. But let's see what we can learn from the example of uh, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Paul and his co-workers, we'll call them. Uh, what three things are they doing here in this passage? Well, you'll notice it says that they were, they were busy uh, thanking God. They were thanking God. We notice that there. Verse 2 says, We give thanks to God always for you all. We can southernize it. We give thanks for all of y'all. All right? He gives thanks. They give thanks. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are thanking God for these Thessalonian believers. Now, you remember I said there were two things that we desperately need. The first is togetherness, and here's the second one. We need to be filled with thankfulness. Thankfulness. We need to be thankful. And then when we're done being thankful, we need to be more thankful. I'm convinced this is where we drop the ball too much. Is it even possible for us to be too thankful? I understand that um, one item that was sent in to the copyright uh, at the Library of Congress to be copyrighted uh, was a book written by a whimsical Texas businessman and he intended to hand this book out to his customers and friends and the title of his book that he wanted to get copyrighted that he sent in um, was A Million Thanks. A Million Thanks. And the book really just consisted of the word thanks repeated one million times. That's the whole book. It was just thanks, 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 thanks a million times. And he sent it in there to get copyrighted. But guess what? No thanks, replied the library. They declined to register the book. Why? Because a single word is not copyrightable. They said, no, you can't copyright just one word a million times. Thank you. Is it possible for us to say it too many times? Should we not say it a million times plus in our lives? Paul and his partners gave thanks to God for these Thessalonians, for these believers, for all of them. We desperately need more thankfulness in our lives and in our church. In all honesty, I could close right now. Some of y'all wish I would. But we could close right now and have an altar call and say, let's just come and we all just get down. Let's just thank God for all of His blessings upon us. Let's thank God for who He is and what He does and what He's done. Let's thank God for the way He's blessed our families. And I just want to encourage you. And I want to encourage myself. And I want to challenge you and challenge myself to really build in more thankfulness. We're good at complaining. We're good at griping. We're good at all that. But how good are we at thanking God? And I find here that these three workers, when they thought about the Thessalonians, they were busy thanking God. We desperately need thanking, uh, thankfulness in our lives. But notice that Paul and, and Silas and Timothy were not only busy thanking God, they were also busy praying to God. They were praying to God. He, he made mention here, he says in verse number 2, we give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers. Now surely thanksgiving to God was part of that prayers, but they prayed for these believers. They didn't just sweep into the city and establish a church and see people saved and teach them a little bit and then move on and forget. No. Why? Because they had these Thessalonians on their heart. And because they had them on their heart, they had them on the prayer list. As I was studying for this, someone kind of mentioned in passing, and I, I read a lot and, and study 
different things, but just in passing, someone made reference to Paul's prayer list. Do you think Paul had a written prayer list? Do you think he had a, just a prayer list where he wrote things down, or do you think he just trusted the Lord would bring to mind what he's supposed to pray? But if he had a written prayer list, and maybe you have one, we gave you a printed list today, but maybe you have a personal prayer list at the house or in your Bible, and you, you have written on it different requests, and you've got listed your family and, and your friends and your church and and maybe other things you're dealing with, your grandkids, and, and different things, and all sorts. Maybe there's missionaries you pray for and, and, and other ministries that you emphasize. You know, a prayer list is a, a, a personal thing, isn't it? Um, not necessarily something we share maybe with other people, but wouldn't it have been something if Paul had a written prayer list to be able to just to look at Paul's prayer list? I mean, because when you read the letters that Paul wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Think about how many times he talks about we pray for you, we pray for you, we pray for you, we pray for you. We remember you in our prayers constantly. We give thanks to God for you. Prayer. Now maybe somebody's already yawning this. They were really preacher, thankfulness and prayer. That's what you got. I mean, this is a new series and that's what you got. We, we know about thankfulness. We know about prayer. Is there anything else? Well, let me just ask you before we move on, though. Yes, we talk about thankfulness. We talk about prayer. But do we practice these things? Are they realities in our lives? It may be that we need some help. Maybe we're not thanking God and praying like we ought. Well, th- th- that third thing that's mentioned here that, that Paul and, and Silvanus and Timothy were doing may help us. They were busy remembering. Did you notice that? They were remembering it says in verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. They remembered how God had changed the lives of these Thessalonian believers. They were different. Now we'll get more into how they were changed and what that change looked like in a moment. But I think it was remembering what they were like and how God changed them that fueled their thanksgiving for these believers, that fueled their prayer. They witnessed how God had radically changed these Thessalonian believers. Remembering those sorts of things will certainly help us in our thanksgiving and our praying as well. I'm afraid a lot of us have forgotten what we were like before Jesus got a hold of us. I'm afraid we've forgotten especially if we've been a Christian for a long time or even the majority of our life. It doesn't matter how good we looked or how bad we looked, how good we lived or how bad we lived. The fact of the matter is we were rebels dead in our sin. We were hopeless, we were helpless, and we were hell-bound before Jesus stepped in. And when He stepped in, He changed everything. And He changed our lives. We forget that, don't we? We think, oh, I'm at church today and I'm at church all the time. Yes, but there was a day when you did not know Jesus. There was a day when you were not heaven-bound. There was a day when you were headed to hell. And Jesus Christ in His love reached down and lifted you up out of that miry pit of sin and set your feet on the solid rock. We forget that. That's why we're not thankful the way we ought to be. That's why we don't pray the way we ought. We think, oh, it's just Sunday again. We just do this. Listen, beloved, He has saved us and delivered us. He changed our lives forever. Do you remember the day that you met the Lord Jesus. Do you remember what life was like before you met Him? Oh, friends, we need to remember. These Thessalonians here, well, what what were they like after meeting Jesus? This brings us to the final triad. 
that I want to bring to your attention. And it's that famous grouping. We don't just see it here, we see it elsewhere. That famous grouping of faith, love, and hope. Look at verse 3 again. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. I like what Hebert said about this. He said, faith, love, and hope are given here in their logical order. Why? Because he says, as Lightfoot remarks, faith rests on the past, love works in the present, and, and hope looks to the future. It's been summed up by saying, faith looks back to a crucified Savior. Love looks up to a crowned Savior, and hope looks ahead to a coming Savior. Man, faith, love, and hope, that's what should characterize our lives. But how do we see these things? John Walbert was right. He said it's impossible to see faith or love or hope. They're immaterial things. I mean, you can't just see a person walking down the street and say, man, there's somebody filled with faith, hope, and love. They might just be filled with wine. You don't know them. And they look happy and they're joyful. But how do you know somebody is filled with faith and hope and love? Well, as he mentions, as we see here, those things will manifest themselves. Those things will come out in the life of these believers. And they'll come out in our lives as well. You know, it's kind of like when you... you, 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 you Walking along there and somebody's coming towards you, they've got maybe a, an open coffee cup or a tea cup or a cup of you don't know what. If you bump into them and you jostle that cup, whatever's on the inside is going to come out. It's going to be manifested. And as we live life, what's on the inside is going to manifest itself. It's going to come out and we're going to see, are we filled with faith and hope and love? We find them mentioned here. And so how do we see this in our lives? What does this look like? Because we just look at a person, we just don't know, they're just standing there. When we look at their life, though, if we can see their life, we can see these things present in their lives. I think it'll help here if we, we turn it around a little bit. Now, I just read it to you in the New King James. The New King James has it this way. Work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. And that's a good translation. By the way, everything you're reading in your English Bible is a translation. It's either translated from the Hebrew or the Greek or a small amount of Aramaic that's in the Bible. So all of it's translated into English. That's why there's slight differences the translators work through. But let me show you two different translations. I think this will help you to get the idea here. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians 1.3 in the NIV. We remember before God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see how that's worded a little bit differently? We see that the faith, hope, and love is actually producing something. Look at it in the NLT. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you want to study further and understand more about how does this work and what does this mean and you say well I can't dig into languages I don't understand it you can take various reliable translations and just look at the same verse in a different translation and kind of open it up a little bit more and help you to say oh okay now I see that we see that as a result if we turn it around that faith produced the work and the love produced the labor and the hope produced endurance do you see it now well let's talk about those three things real quick these three characteristics 
of these Thessalonians. First of all, the work of faith, or the faith which produced the work. Faith produced works here. Now we know, at least I hope you know, and if you don't know, you're going to know now. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. Put this, put this reference down in your margin. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You need to know these verses. For by grace... You've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Can you imagine if somebody could work their way into salvation? We won't be around that person, would we? <laughs> Look at me. I've worked my way to heaven. No. Nobody will be able to say that. Nobody. The Bible says all of our works, our righteousness are like filthy rags. It's only one person's work who gets us to heaven, and that's the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But don't stop reading when you're in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. A lot of people stop there, but verse 10 is very important. Verse 10 says, Ephesians 2, 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, listen, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in then. That is, God's plan is to save us by His grace through faith, but then after He saves us, He doesn't just take us immediately to heaven. That'd be awesome to see that, wouldn't it? Somebody comes down the aisle. I don't know how it would work because there'd be nobody to preach, but, but let's just pretend you work with me here. Somebody bows down and they say, I, I want to get saved. Okay, well, let's ask the Lord to save you. And they, they begin to pray, and boom, they're gone! That's not the way it works. We're still here. They get up. Why? Because God has a plan for their life. And God has a plan for your life. He wants you to be His child. That it can only happen as you turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ and His finished work. And then He says, you are His workmanship. He's working on you. And by the way, He's working on all of us. Philippians 1.6 says He will complete the work that He's begun in us. Praise be to His name. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't treat us like we might treat a hobby or a craft or some project at home that we get tired of and just abandon. No, He's going to finish the work He's doing in us. And ultimately what He's doing is making us more like Jesus. He's going to make us to be like Jesus. That's what the Scripture teaches. But He says that He has good works for you to do. And interesting enough, it says He's prepared them beforehand. See, see, God is a planner. God has a plan for your life. We struggle sometimes because we only see one small piece of the planner or one part of the plan. And in reality, we want to know the whole plan and want to see how it all works out. But that's why the Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. Because by sight, sometimes it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense. I was talking to one of our members on the phone. They're, they're homebound and can't come anymore and they I was telling them about something I was doing and they asked me, you know, what are you gonna do with that? I didn't have a good answer, really. I I don't know what the Lord's doing with that. I'm just kind of trusting him. I'm just trying to be obedient and follow him. And and sometimes God's going to call you to do those sorts of things in your life and you don't know where is this headed, where is this leading, but he's leading you. And he's heading you in direction because he has a plan for your life. And, and faith produces works. James says it this way. James 2, verses 17 and 18. You can write that reference down. James 2, 17 and 18. 
Thus also faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. James 2.26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. If you're truly born again, if you're truly a child of God, good works are going to come out of your life. It's going to come out of your life. As you walk with the Lord, as you obey the Lord, as you follow the Lord, good works are going to result. That faith that you're saved by is going to bring about good works. Faith produces the works. But then we notice that he mentions here their labor of love. Now the first question I have as I look at that is why in the world does he use the word work and labor? Why does he use both those words? Aren't they synonyms? Aren't they the same thing? Well, if you dig a little bit deeper, you come to find out this, that that word labor, that's translated labor here, actually in the original language there, it, it means to labor to the point of exhaustion, to sweat, to become fatigued. Now, there's different types of work, right? There's some work that's very easy and some work that's very laborious. Some work that's enjoyable and some work which we just endure and we just sweat and we labor. This is the idea of hard work. Someone that I read pointed out that the church is made up of two kinds of people. You might like this, two kinds of people. There are the pillars who hold it up and the caterpillars who crawl in and out each week. Think about which group you're in. I'm afraid that we're living in a day where people don't want to do too much for Jesus. I'll serve, but not much. There's a a limit on how far I will go for the Lord. There's a limit on how much time I'll give or how much I can do. And I understand, I I know we can't live at church and we can't do it, but, but listen, if you're only serving Jesus at church... You've got to think about that as well because we're supposed to serve Jesus everywhere in every setting. But when you think about ministry service and good works and those sorts of things, there are those who say, no, I'll, I'll serve this much but no more. These Thessalonians were not like that. Their, their love for Jesus, it's a labor of love, their love for Jesus caused them to labor away to exhaustion, to sweat, to perspire, to go to exhaustion. I think I love what Roger Carswell said. He wrote this, Christianity is not a work to be endured for duty's sake, but rather a person to be served for love's sake. All of our labor, no matter what it is, should be for the Lord Jesus. Even our work, it says, work as unto the Lord and not unto men. That means that whether we're flipping hamburgers or we're plowing a field or we're teaching kids or we're a plumber unclogging a pipe, we're to work as unto the Lord. Whatever we do, the gifts that He's given us, the labor that He's given us, the job that He's given us, we're to do it for Him. We're to labor for Him. We labor, why? Because we love Him. Love should motivate our labors. Not guilt. Not someone twisting arms. I try to remind the, the nominating committee from time to time that you know, don't talk people into serving as much as you want to. 
as desperate as we are at times, it seems. We want people to serve willingly as God directs them. And there's some areas where God does not direct them to serve and other areas that God has. And, and we believe that He's brought us together to labor together. But love should be that motivating factor as we labor for the Lord. But there's a third thing. All these threes, there's a third thing, and that is the patience of hope. Hope here produced patience or endurance. Their hope, their confidence was in Jesus coming back again. I told you in the opening message, this is what, message three, you can go back and get the previous two if you haven't, that every chapter in 1 Thessalonians mentions the return of the Lord Jesus. The rapture's front and center in this book. In fact, we're going to study later on, God willing, a very classic passage on the rapture. And the rapture is the next thing that we're looking for on the prophetic timeline. He said, what is the rapture? Well, that's when the Lord Jesus comes and He takes us to be with Him. The dead in Christ shall rise first and those who are alive remain shall be caught up together. We'll get our new bodies and we'll be with the Lord. That's the rapture. That's what we're looking for. And they believed in the rapture. In fact, in, in this short book, every chapter references the return of the Lord Jesus and their hope. And by the way, remember, biblical hope is not like we talk about hope. We say things like, I hope it doesn't rain this week. Or I hope the Braves win. Or I hope whatever. It's a, it's a possibility. It's something we hope. We have no real confidence that it will happen. We just hope it will. No, biblical hope is not like that. This is a hope that's sure and steadfast. It's going to happen. And this hope they had, this belief they had, this faith they had led to patience and endurance and steadfastness. They have the power here because of the hope and the Lord helping them to withstand hardship for Jesus Christ. You remember that these believers, we talked about this in their earlier message, they had already faced some pushback, already faced some persecution. You can read about it in Acts chapter 17. Already. They were a young church, but they were dealing with some tough stuff already. And the hope that they had in Christ, the belief that they had in the promises of God and the Lord's return kept them going. I try to be brutally honest when it comes to being a Christian. It isn't always easy. In fact, when you become a Christian, you get problems you didn't have before. And I believe, I'm convinced, that the longer that we're here, and the longer that we stay, and I'm talking about in America, I believe that things are going to get harder for those of us who are believers. For those of us who love Jesus who love the Word of God, who want to stand upon the Word of God, it's going to become more and more difficult. And so we've got to have that hope. Everything in our life to realize that God's Word is true. The promises that God has given us are true. And furthermore, that Jesus Christ is coming and He's worthy and He's enough and He's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth the difficulty. He's worth the pushback. He's worth the persecution. He's worth whatever it costs us to serve Him. Why? Because He gave it all for us. Remember, it's a labor of love. We love Him. And so we labor for Him. So let us be faithful. Let us be diligent. Let us be prayerful. Let us be thankful. I'm told that around the dial of a clock, 
in a church in Strasbourg, Germany, are these words. I want you to think about a clock. And around the dial are these words. One of these hours, the Lord is coming. One of these hours, the Lord is coming. And He is. He truly is. And so perhaps tonight, as you get ready for bed, as you close the curtains, as you crawl in, perhaps you'd like to say with Horatius Bonar those words. Perhaps tonight, Lord. And can I just say, even so come, Lord Jesus. Would you bow with me in prayer? I just want to ask you, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, are you ready if He were to come right now? I mean, are you ready? I don't mean that there may, be, may not be some things you want to do and some things you want to see and experience. I'm not talking about that. I mean, are you ready? If He were to come right this moment, would you go up or would you be left behind? The only way you're going up is if you know Jesus. That's the only way. He's coming to get His own. And if you're not His own, if you don't belong to Him, He's not your Savior, you're not going. So I just want to ask you today, do you know for certain, do you know for certain, are you certain that if He were to come back right now, you were to fall over dead, that you'd open your eyes in heaven? If not, can I encourage you, can I exhort you, can I plead with you to give your life to Jesus Christ? To cry out to Him right now and say, Lord, I, I know I've sinned, I've done wrong, but I believe that Jesus is God. I believe He was born of the Virgin Mary. I believe He lived a sinless, perfect life. I believe He died on that cross for my sin. And I believe he, He's alive forevermore. And the best way I know how, Lord, I ask you to come into my life, forgive me, save me, cleanse me, make me your child, forgive me, save my soul. You can do that right where you are, right where you're seated. And that's not a secret. I'm going to encourage you to tell others and tell them quickly and share it freely and let us help you to grow. But right now, you can be saved if you've never received the Lord Jesus right now. Call out to Him. Ask Him to save you so you'll be ready. Well, believers, what about us? What is God saying to us in this? We've talked about a lot. We talked about togetherness last week. We talked about thankfulness. We talked about prayer. We talked about remembering. We talked about a faith producing works and a love that produces labor and a hope that produces endurance. What is it that God is speaking to you about? Where is the Holy Spirit putting His finger on your life? I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. What's God saying to you? Would you take a moment there? Now the altar's open. We'd invite you to come. We're going to sing in a moment. But right right now, in this quiet moment, would you just talk to the Lord about what He's saying to you? I, I don't know exactly what He's put His finger on in your life. But would you let Him deal with you? Would you be obedient?
Take a moment there and talk to the Lord, would you? Father, we love you today. As you're reminded three times in these three verses, you're our Father. Lord Jesus, we love you. You are the Lord Jesus Christ. Three times in these three verses, you reminded us of that. Holy Spirit, we love you. Thank you for inspiring these words through, the, through Paul. This truth, the very Word of God. I pray, Father, your will be done in every life. And the Lord, you would help us to keep looking up. But until you come, Lord, help us to keep going. To be faithful. To be thankful. To be laboring. To be loving. Lord, to keep following you day by day. Help us, Lord, to stand for you regardless of the cost regardless of the consequences, help us to obey you. Be honored and glorified in this place, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to turn one more time in our hymnals to that same area we were singing earlier and thinking about the friendship that we have with the Lord. 156, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me a whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. Let's stand together, 156, and sing out.